Hello everyone, welcome to episode 21 of Wake Up Call. Today we're talking about the alternative meat project. We're talking about the plant-based meat industry. And for this, we have a very special guest, Josh, who is a student representative in the Alternative Meat Project in his university. So we're going to talk about it. And what I find really interesting about this topic is that the alternative meat industry is sort of trying to really make the plant-based meat natural for humans, very accessible, um, and also for it not to be called fake meat, but for it to be just called meat, right? And it's very weird for us to imagine a world like that. But I mean, even when Thomas Edison invented the electric light bulb, people were calling it the alternative to the oil lamp. But right now we cannot imagine our lives without electricity and normal light bulbs, right? So maybe that is how plant-based meat is also going to be in the future. So hello, Josh, uh, you are a university student engaged in the alternative meat project supported by the Good Food Institute in your university. So for now on, can you just tell us a bit more about yourself, what the project in your university does, what is your role in it, and how does the alternative meat revolution play into the whole thing? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I'm Josh. I'm, as you said, a student here at Wageningen University in uh, the Netherlands. Um, many of the listeners that are already involved within the food industry and especially with the academic side of uh, food uh, will know about Wageningen, of course. It's a very big and very important university in the sector and specifically the Wageningen Alpertin Project, which is our association that deals with uh, the sector of uh, replacers of meat, deals with uh, getting more students to know about this entire field, getting to understand what the technical sites are and what the alternatives are. So my role within the association, uh, at the moment, I am the president slash outgoing president as, as I will be graduating soon. And uh, we have the next generation of leaders that are coming. Um, but to go to the role of the association, basically, uh, we connect the students and the people already in academia or in industry. We try to make the information more accessible. Um, we try to make the uh, companies get more the word out about their current positions because it's a very exploding field it's very exciting there is a lot to do but the thing is if you list if you ask especially the people here around Wachen, we are a bit of a bubble you know it's a very green university there is a lot of sustainability related things there is a lot of stuff regarding um, even planning cities to be more sustainable uh, transforming the entire agricultural sector uh, water management just everything that has to do with sustainability. So of course, due to this, a lot of people here are vegan or vegetarian. And if you, uh, if you ask them, they all say, hey, uh, I actually miss some animal products, like they taste really nice and we want to have them. Uh, they know that some of these products uh, exist in the supermarkets for very basic stuff like burgers or schnitzels or sausages and this kind of things. Um, but even within the food technology students, they don't know that there are a bunch of technical things that go behind the entire field of alternative proteins and that there is actually a niche for people of every individual background to work with this kind of thing. So it's a very broad thing and I or any other person involved in this could actually talk for hours about the different things that um, yeah, make part of it. 
Well, we're very excited to unpack some of that over the course of this episode. But I want to start off very simple, something that you've probably heard all the time. And you don't need to convince me of it because I'm already vegetarian, as are my six other roommates here in Montreal. So something's happening. Um, ask you is what would you say that the most persuasive argument for someone to stop eating meat and switch to an alternative protein diet is? The interesting thing is there isn't actually one answer because even if when you look at people that are vegetarian or vegan, they are they follow that diet for different reasons. So if you just try to have one argument, you might convince one sector of uh, the population, but not everybody else. So in my case, I would consider myself flexitarian and I reduce a lot my animal consumption because of environmental reasons. If you look at the actual data at the CO2, uh, CO2 production, the land management, the water management, um, the deforestation that happens in countries like Brazil, to make space for the um, soy that is needed to feed the animals, then it becomes kind of hard to justify eating meat when it's that hard to um, sustain um, the feed that they need. So if I meet someone that, uh, like me, cares about the CO2 emissions, and I would say, hey, if you look at this, uh, meat uh, produces 10 times or more the amount of CO2 than the equivalent legumes do, so if you would like to have a future in which you don't struggle to breathe or in which you can go out uh, in, this, uh, in the afternoon without burning yourself alive because of the greenhouse gases, then you know, reducing your meat consumption is the way to go. If someone is vegan or vegetarian because of ethical reasons, um, then I think it's more about cellular agriculture or uh, precision fermentation to produce specific compounds. So you say, hey, I know you, you don't like meat and you want to reduce the consumption. Uh, I get it. Like uh, some people are really against using animals for consumption because they are living beings. But if you take just a small biopsy from the muscle of an animal and you grow it in a bioreactor, you are not really hurting the animal, but you are producing thousands of tons of food eventually. And they are uh, cruelty free. So you should probably also switch to a lifestyle in which you can also invest in all proteins make it grow more um, and ensure that in the future products such as cellular agriculture are accessible to people in europe in africa and south america and america the way it is in for example singapore right now um, so usually there is this divide um, people either care about the ethical issues but they cannot give up meat so you guide them towards cellular agriculture or they care more about environmental reasons so you can also guide them towards alternative proteins especially because the products are getting a lot better right now. A lot, a lot of the reason why people cling on to eating meat like they do with a lot of uh, other habits is based on their traditions or, or, or their habits or things that have been happening for thousands and thousands of years. You know, if you ask some of my friends why they eat meat, well, that's what I ate growing up as a kid and it's what I'm used to. You ask their parents and it's the same answer. So it's often hard to get people to like break out of these cycles of habits that have been built from their parents and their grandparents and things like that. So how would you start a conversation in convincing someone that, that their habit may not be the best habit? It's often hard to convince people that their traditions are harmful in any sort of way, like you mentioned in terms of sustainability or even in terms of uh, animal cruelty. 
what's the what's the starting point for that conversation to be happening with the masses? I actually think um, it's a bit counterproductive to try to get people to go against their traditions or to abandon them. Um, that's the way you also get someone to be hostile against your arguments. The incredible thing about this field of alternative proteins is that it's not just about making a new product. It's about finding a way that is more sustainable to produce the exact same thing that people are used to. So we just we don't want to just have um, a lentil burger and have people give up steak or whatever for that. But um, we want to have the same product that consumes less uh, energy, that produces less CO2, and that is better for water uh, management. So in my case, uh, I'm Italian, so I know perfectly well what it means for uh, people to be attached to their traditions. So in the same way I could talk for hours about all proteins, I could probably do the same for traditional meat and dairy products from Italy. Um, so I understand the attachment to tradition, but there are technologies that are very promising that will deliver the same thing without having people to, uh, without having the need for people to give up what they want. Um, as an example, cheese is so often the thing that people struggle the most with giving up. And when you look at cheese, there is one particular thing that is important about milk to make cheese. And those are the casings, which are specific proteins that are uh, only found in milk. And they usually give cheese its uh, texture, its uh, hardness. Sometimes also the flavors depend a lot on uh, casings when they age for a long time. So right now, a lot of research is going into producing casings uh, from yeasts. So you just take um, a yeast cell and you teach it to produce the protein that is necessary and that is normally found in, in uh, milk. That way you have uh, the actual structure and uh, smoothness, silkiness of milk without ever having to uh, use a cow. Um, in that way, you can get stuff that is hopefully quite similar to traditional cheeses, like in the case of Italy, Parmigiano Reggiano or Grana Padano, without having uh, the problem of people having to detach themselves from their traditional diet. This is all extremely interesting, and it all sounds so sciencey to me. Um, while I know that a lot of the things you probably do is just trying to make the traditional industry more sustainable, more healthy, um, kind of taking it back to its roots even in a way. But I wanted to ask you a bit more to, you know, explain the nitty gritty of how it actually works if you're trying to create plant-based meat. Like what happens in the lab? Because for many people, I feel like the stopping factor to trying out alternative meat is that it seems almost fake or like um, GMOs or like, you know, those scary things that we don't really understand. It seems unnatural. But I'm sure that a lot of the science also makes it healthy and cares about human health in general. So maybe you could explain, you know, how you would explain to a five-year-old the science behind uh, what you do. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, a great question. Um, there is often a lot of fear-mongering around um, processed foods or foods that are very novel, as you mentioned. But if we take the example of stuff like schnitzels or burgers or a lot of products that are available now in the market especially in the Netherlands where I'm based so I'm kind of using that as a reference um, if you look let's say at schnitzels they have uh, usually a very uh, good um, texture they have like the fibrousness of meat that you look for and that is actually something that we as food technologists all um, often look at so I'm actually going to take a step back then meat uh, has 
um, a unique property that is very different from plant proteins in which the protein that is present in the meat has a fibrous structure, kind of like that of clothes. So you have very long fibers that bundle up together and you can also see it when you cut into steak, for example, it's just a bunch of tiny little fibers that are cl closely related together. And that is what gives meat mostly its structure and its mouthfeel. On the other hand, plant proteins are on the opposite end of the spectrum and they tend to be globular, which means that each cluster of proteins is made into a little ball and the little balls touch each other or are completely independent on, on the other, depending on the plant. So the question when you use plant-based materials to make meat alternatives is how do I make the little balls into very long ropes? Um, at the end of the day, it just so happens that the answer is you just squish them. Basically, you put them into a machine. It has a very big mouth in which you feed them. And it has a very small hole through which they go through after a bit of pressure. Um, that, pro that process makes the balls into ropes and it helps in uh, obtaining a texture that is closely related to meat compared to what you would, for example, expect in beans or lentils or soys or stuff like that. Uh, right now in the market, you would also mostly find plant-based materials, but there are also other two ways of obtaining this thing. You have cellular agriculture in which you take a biopsy from the muscle of an animal. So you basically just poke it with a needle, take a couple of cells of the muscles, and then you put them into a bioreactor, which is basically just a giant tub. Um, and that's also a bit outside my expertise, but basically what you do is you make the cell into an immortal cell, an uh, immortal line, it's usually called, and you manage to get the cell to be able to divide itself indefinitely. Um, by just getting the muscle fiber to divide itself indefinitely, you basically end up with the muscle tissue and that can be used to then uh, imitate some products such as uh, burgers or meatballs or something like that. Right now, we don't have the technology yet to make like entire cuts of meat or entire muscle groups. It's just mostly making uh, spare cells, which is why it needs still a lot of development, but a lot of development is also being done in uh, research. And then finally, we have also my favorite um, pillar, let's say, of alt proteins, which is fermentation-based products in which you would just basically used, use mostly fungi to grow into a substrate that would normally be also, it could also be a waste. For example, the remainings of wood or waste streams from other industries right now, growers spent yeast is a very big thing. And it's basically just a byproduct of making beer. So you can take that because it's also still very rich in proteins and fiber, um, but it's not very tasty and it's kind of disgusting to chew on. So you feed it to some fungi um, and they kind of eat it. And in the process, they also transform some of the amino acids into something that is more like what we need. And they make the, they also digest the fibers, making it a bit more digestible to us. Um, basically then taking a waste product and making it into something healthier that depending on what you use as microorganisms, it can also um, produ produce bioactive compounds that are very necessary for our health. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how they make Vegemite and Marmite, right? Um, a lot of products are actually fermented, uh, even when you don't realize it. Um, and fermentation is a very important process. So beer, as I mentioned, is fermented. Bread is fermented. Um, 
when you rice bread, the yeast uh, eats a bit of the sugars that are present in there and produces the bubbles that you see that make the bread rise. Uh, Vegemite is also fermented, um, I believe. A lot of uh, foods in um, Asian cuisine are uh, fermented. Um, basically, any alcohol is fermented. A lot of the cheese that we like uh, are fermented. So it's just a very widespread process that we have used for millennia because it helps us to preserve food. Right now, the question is just applying it to novel foods to obtain something uh, more sustainable. Right. All right. So in our research, we found a, a study that, that concludes that cell-based meat research and development is roughly 10 times more cost effective than the top recommended sort of effective altruist animal charities in preserving animal welfare. So does the Good Food Institute play a role in coordinating or speaking with the climate activist movement to sort of raise more awareness for the cause? Um, or are you taking a different ap approach and sort of keeping an arm's length away from the, the, the climate movement? No, absolutely. Um, the GFI is very active in all kinds of areas that are related to all proteins. Um, I think it's also very obvious at the moment that um, being intersectional in the way you deal with the social or um, climate issue is very important because it's basically never the case that issues are isolated and independent of each other. So when you look at um, the welfare of animals, it's also related to the climate emissions, it's also related to the welfare of people. So it's very important to take into account every single aspect of what you are dealing with. And it's also why I believe, um, as I said also at the beginning, that everyone can find a niche in the field of alt proteins because it's not just about the technology of producing the new um, products, but it's also about the ethics, about the marketing of it. It's about the political um, willingness of uh, governments to adopt this kind of products. So yeah, there is a niche for everybody. Thank you so much for talking a bit more about the science behind everything. I feel now that I understand it a lot better and I'm more open to actually trying more of the products. Um, I wanted to ask you a bit more about specifically your university's student initiative regarding alternative proteins. Could you tell us a bit more about what you do there? For example, a successful project or a success story from your organization and maybe something that perhaps didn't do as well as you expected it to. So um, I actually always have the same answer for everybody. Um... There is this very big summit uh, every year that happens in uh, America, in Europe, and in Asia. We are lucky enough to have contact with people that organize the uh, session that happens in Europe. Um, and it's basically just a big conference with a bunch of uh, researchers and people from industry that are working in the field of alternative proteins. Um, and they talk about the current research, about the successes they also had in uh, products, and there is also a lot of product tastings. So what our association has managed is to help the sector that um, had the part that happens at the university itself. So we just guide the people towards um, the different uh, seminars that happen at the university. And then we also participate in the actual talks. Uh, we managed to really expand a lot of our network by talking to professionals, but especially we managed to get first tastings on products that are not available in the market yet. Um, so last year, we uh, tasted a bunch of different things that were actually kind of amazing. We had some really um, unique 
takes on uh, cheese that we saw. Um, I still wonder sometimes about how they were actually produced because the texture, the flavor, they were all there and they really seemed like an actual cheese. It's, it just was completely vegan. We tasted some fish products like smoked salmon. We tasted also like ham, sausages, uh, also new plant-based milks. Um, they were all quite amazing and we managed to really meet people that are very important to the success of our current association. Um, and in terms of stuff that hasn't gone as well as we thought, um, when we first started doing uh, actual seminars with people from industry and academia in the university, we uh, kind of underestimated the amount of work that goes behind the advertisement to get the students to participate. So we wanted to have around 100 people participating, but we ended up with between 15 and 20, which was not uh, that nice. But we learned from our mistakes and the seminars that we had after were a lot more successful. Okay, um, and also uh, just another question on top of that. Uh, you mentioned a lot of the times the words food technologist uh, as like a profession, as something that you maybe will even pursue. So I wanted to ask you, you said that this is like an exploding field right now, and I, I, I definitely believe you. What does it take? What kind of studies do you have to do? Uh, what kind of paths, professional paths do you have to go to to become a food technologist and to work in these kind of fields as a young person who's potentially interested? question and I think it kind of depends on where you are um, based basically um, to take my example I studied food technology in my bachelor's I am studying food technology now in my master's and I am specializing in fermentation um, but that's because I am interested in fermentation and that's what I want to do for all proteins on the other hand there are just um, so many different aspects of food technology that basically with any uh, science background, you can find your niche into the uh, research and development sector because food technology itself is not a hard science as it would be, for example, for chemistry or physics or something like that. Food technology is basically a mixture of all the sciences that you can think of. So there is biology, there is biotechnology, there is chemistry, physics, even math in some cases. So any background can probably find their way into the actual food technology side. And even for product development, so actually going from the technical side of um, having the process to produce new, new novel foods, it's not all food technology throughout, because you also need people that, for example, are experts in uh, genetics to uh, understand how the microorganisms grow or uh, how the cells grow when you have cellular agriculture. You need the engineers, because, of course, as I said, you need to have machines that squish uh, the plant proteins in order to make them like meat proteins you need specific machines for that um, you also need people that are into the more medical slash nutritional side to understand if the health aspect of these novel pro uh, products is actually comparable or better or worse compared to meat um, then you need to market it you need also to understand the chemical side of the products that you put in for some of them, uh, how they interact, how you can separate them. So there is just a bunch of different things. And if you're interested in uh, starting your career into all proteins in Europe, um, normally there is just the uh, food technology course in a lot of universities. 
I know that in the US and in Canada, the process is um, a little bit different. So I'm not really comfortable with saying uh, what the uh, path should be in that case. So what is the timeline for all of this? You guys are doing a bunch of research into these cell-based meats, into alternative proteins, into this fer these fermented products, but we're not seeing a lot of those on our shelves yet. And obviously with the agricultural industry or specifically the meat and animal product industry being such a massive contributor to climate change, the progress of these needs to accelerate in order to meet our, our, our climate targets and, uh, and things like that. What are some ways that we can accelerate this progress and when should we expect to see cell-based meats and other alternative protein products on our shelves at a reasonable price? Yeah, a uh, great question as well. So regarding what the average person can do, I would say vote with your wallet. So if you see a product that you like, buy it, let it be known that you actually like it and that companies should invest into these kind of things. And it's kind of basically what happened uh, here. So people like uh, to have alternatives to meat, so they buy them, so companies make more. In terms of, so also here in the Netherlands, you can find a lot of plant-based products and they have been got, uh, they have been getting better and better every year to the point in which some, at least for me, they are indistinguishable from their actual animal products. Um, in the case of fermentation, you kind of have some, the traditional ones are present. For example, tempeh is a traditional product from uh, Indonesia, I believe, and it's widely available in a lot of stores. Uh, here in Europe, you also have uh, Quorn, which is a rather old company that produces, um, let's say, chicken, uh, well, meat bites that are made from fungi. Um, and they have been around for like 60 years or something like that. And there are more and more companies uh, popping around. The problem with technologies such as uh, precision fermentation or some types of ferment, uh, biomass fermentation and cellular agriculture is that being uh, very novel, there are serious restrictions on um, them being allowed on the market by the EFSA in Europe and the FDA, I believe, in the US. Um, right now, there has already been a lot of work on getting these uh, really important institutions of food safety to understand why we should push for these novel products to be approved. And the timeline has actually been drastically reduced. So as I from what I know so far, there are currently uh, in the process documents to get cellular, um, let's say clean meat as it's called now, uh, allowed to be sold in the US and in Europe. Um, most companies expect the first commercial available products to be available before 2030, uh, I believe. Um, and the same should go for fermentation based products. Um, it's not banned all over the world, or let's say it's not allowed all over the, um, yeah, it's not banned. So if you go to Singapore, for example, you can buy chicken nuggets that have been grown in the lab. So they are clean chicken nuggets. They have basically never seen a chicken in their lives. It's actually so weird how supermarkets are allowed to sell us extremely harmful products that contain so much sugar or caffeine that really harms human health, but we're not allowed to eat or buy these kind of things in some instances. I wanted to ask you maybe to expand a bit more on the nutritional value. As you mentioned that nutritional dietitians do have a big role to play in this revolution. 
So can you maybe give some examples on how alternative protein can even be better than meat in some instances for human health? The big problem that you usually find in meat is the presence of um, heme iron, or which is what makes red meat red. Um, a few of the compounds that are found in meat uh, are very heavy and hard for the body to digest. Um, and a very high intake of meat, especially processed meat, has been linked in multiple papers to a wide array of health issues. So it goes from something, let's say, mild, like obesity, um, high heart, uh, high blood pressure, uh, hypertension, um, even headaches and stuff like that, to something also a lot more serious, like colon cancer. Um, so these are a few of the problems of meat. When you make alternatives, you don't have the same compounds, which makes them uh, automatically not as um, prevalent in um, the promotion of cancers that can form uh, in your body. Other than just um, this singular aspect, meat can also have a lot of cholesterol, um, which is not by itself a bad thing, but when it's consumed in high doses, as a lot of people do, it can be. And uh, to make it clear, especially in the US, um, people eat way, way too much meat for their own health. It's actually incredibly unhealthy and it can be seen in the general trend of the US population. And actually Europe is uh, lagging behind, but it's kind of going in the same direction. So it's not that nice. Um, but I think the most important part is that we should not look at what meat has that alt proteins have don't have that is harmful but we should rather look at what we can put in alt proteins that is very healthy compared to meat um, a very easy example uh, would be uh, vitamins or bioactive compounds um, the fiber that is also very important uh, in my personal opinion fiber is one of the most overlooked aspects of our diets uh, so many people are deficient in fiber and it has a huge effect on health. Uh, so if you go for stuff like uh, biomass fermentation-based products, you can really increase by a lot the amount of fiber in your diet, and that has a huge impact on your gut health, on the composition of your gut uh, microflora. And the gut microflora has been linked to um, directly have an effect on the brain. So a lot of researchers actually right now think that the that your gut directly talks with your brain by a bunch of byproducts of the metabolism of bacteria that are present in, uh, in the colon and, and in the intestines. So by promoting your gut health with fiber, you actually improve your um, mental status as well. Um, we also have stuff like um, in, uh, plant materials. Uh, oftentimes, um, nutrients such as minerals are not that available um, because it's just not the form that we as animals intake properly but a fermentation step through fungi or through bacteria can really help in uh, having us absorb more easily those uh, nutrients josh thank you so much for your time we look forward to the future of your project and to our listeners josh how can they find you if they're interested in your work so there are multiple ways to find me. Um, you can also, you can go to our website. It's uh, wachingenaltprotein.com. Uh, it has a bunch of uh, resources are, uh, about us as an association. 
You can find us on uh, Instagram at uh, Wachingen APP, uh, all together, all lowercase. And you can find us on Facebook at the same name. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. That wraps up episode, of course, that wraps up episode 21 of Wake Up Call. And we'll see you all again next week.